So Chip already mentioned the building workday, but I just, I, just, I want to thank, say thank you as well. I want to give a special shout out to the ceiling tile crew. Uh, you, guys, you guys know who you are. And uh, special shout out to the mulch crew as well. Uh, you guys rocked it. Hey, just, uh, and none of us melted, you know, just a little bit of rain on sugar is all right. So um, it worked out well. Some of y'all did not appreciate that joke. So. Um, uh, but that was, that was great. Thank you guys so much. So many, so many little things and so many big things that were done. Uh, just amazing stuff. Uh, the other thing that I want to mention is Easter is this weekend. And so we would love for you to come and, and be a part of that with us. For, for us, Easter starts really on Friday night because we have a good Friday prayer service uh, that we do. And that's going to be at 630. We'd love for you to be here and, and come come for that and participate in that. There's going to be a lot of different uh, interactive elements that we include with that. And so that's kind of a, uh, we really look forward to that as a staff and uh, would love for you to, to be a part of that and join us. And then Easter Sunday, we will have our 10 a.m. service, but we're actually having an extra service as well at 830. So if you're an early riser and you want to come, you can invite your family and friends and come to that. That would be amazing. We're just having Velocity Kids at the 10 a.m. service. Um, because most of the time parents are going to be like, they'll, they'll get their kids ready during the 8.30, you know, time, right? So every once in a while you get that kid who's up like at 5.30 and I get it and that kind of thing, but you, you need that break and coffee time leading up to that. So 8.30, we'd love for you to be there, especially if you're going to help us serve uh, in Velocity Kids, particularly at 10. If you have any questions about that, see me, see Sarah, see Adria, and uh, we'll get you connected with that. But we can't wait to worship with you and the family and friends that you're going to invite and come and, and share. Um, you know, we, we worship like we do every Sunday, but it's just a little bit more special celebrating the resurrection. So uh, good times. Looking forward to that. It is that funky time of year in Virginia where one day you're wearing shorts and the next day you're like, oh, I need my winter clothes back, back out. Like, I've got to pull all that back out. When that happens, though, my, my mind starts turning to the garden. So we've, uh, my family, we've, we've always like grown little things over, over the years, Renee and I, but we, uh, a few years ago, got a little bit more serious. And so uh, we started off hand digging out a, a 30 by 30 plot in our backyard. Now we've got a, a tiller uh, due to some very graciousness in, in our life, and, and we, we appreciate that. So now we've got a 30 by 30 plot and about a 50 by 50 plot um, that, you know, so we, I don't, it's fun. I don't, we're, we're enjoying that, so. And so that's where kind of my, my mind turns to planting and all that kind of stuff. One of the things, though, um, look, I'm always looking forward to trying new things. But one of the things that I find really frustrating and fascinating at the same time are volunteer plants. You know, what I'm all right, as some of you are like, yeah, I love that reaction because some of you are like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. So those are the plants that just kind of show up out, out of nowhere. And sometimes they get dropped. Birds are really friendly sometimes, and they just give you gifts of, of seeds in, in your ground. We, we don't have to talk about the de details of how that works, but um, they, they do that sometimes, you know, something drops or, or you, you know, from, from your garden that you grew and then just grows in, in the middle of nowhere. And one of the things that I've noticed for, for us is that sometimes the volunteer plants do better than the plants that we spent all the time. All right, awesome. Great reaction because you're like, yes, yes, absolutely. They do better than, than all the plants that have spent like weeks trying to like tilling and, and planting out and, and we're going to, oh, we've got a plan, we're going to water and all, all this kind of stuff. And here's this plant just, just sitting there where it's not supposed to be, just mocking me. <laughs> I mean, just making fun. It's just watching me as I'm in the garden, you know, we're in the, we're in the garden, you know, pulling weeds and, and that kind of stuff. And Renee and the kids do an amazing job at that, but it just, it just mocks. It's just a, just a mocker. And so that's why it's so frustrating because I'm like, we, we didn't put you there, and yet there you are just doing great, and, and, it's, and it's annoying, and I look at that. 
But it's also really fascinating to me because I just think about how, um, I, I don't know, it's just neat to me that things work that way. That, that here's this plant that creates fruit, it creates something that propagates itself. And it survives and it keeps going and it doesn't meet, need my interaction really at all. Other than, you know, my gracious will of allowing it to exist where, where it is, you know. I'm a benevolent dictator. Um, and so it's just, here's the seed that, you know, is just baked into the design of the plant that this, this works. Almost like there's a creator. Uh, especially when you take into consideration that where these volunteer plants do the best, at, at least at our place, is in our compost pile. And then you're like, well, I know how some of the seeds got there. I don't know. We've had some, I, we've never planted a potato, but like we've had a potato plant grow out of that. I mean, some of the, trying to grow watermelons, the best watermelon we ever had came out of our compost pile. You know, just like, I, I don't know. It's, I don't know how I feel about it. We can talk about it later. If, if you guys want to commiserate with it, we'll start a, we'll start a support group. Um, tomatoes. What, what else has been there? I mean, there have been all kinds of things. I was out there Friday uh, with a friend, and we were looking, and there's these, you know, garlic-type plants that are just growing at there in the, in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, what in the world? We were trying to get rid of that. You know, here, here's this amazing thing. But just you put, you know, some, some cut grass, and you put scraps from the table, and you put all this junk and stuff that's decaying and that would attract fruit flies and mold and all that kind of stuff. You put that in a pile, and here comes this beautiful, perfect plant that I spent all this time in this till ground trying to grow, and it does amazing over here. And you look at that, and I can't help but think, especially as we're uh, wrapping up the sermon series, and we've talked about the consequences of sin and how it's impacted our life, how it's introduced death, and how God has completely transformed how that works to then produce a brand new life out of that. That there's a picture there, I think, that's really powerful about how God moves and operates in our life. That he can take all the junk, all the trash, all the discarded things, the things that are moldy, decaying, and 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 attracting flies, and he can take all that, and he can till it up, and he do something even more amazing through it, and create something brand new that we can't even do ourselves on our own, um, that looks so much better than what we try to produce in our own life. Um, that, trans- that transformation is, is pretty amazing to me, and so as much as I'm frustrated by the volunteer plants and how they're just kind of staring me in the face and mocking my efforts, um, it's also kind of a, a pretty beautiful thing about how, how, you know, it's a picture of how God works and operates. Um, what we're being transformed by is shown by the fruit that we produce in life. And what, what we've been talking about over the last few weeks as we wrap up the sermon series, um, we have talked about how life is bookended by two different trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which we see in Genesis chapter 3, introduces sin and death, the consequence of death, um, our union with death. And at the very end in Revelation chapter 22, there's this other tree, the tree of life, that God is going to invite us to participate and partake in. And that takes us from the very beginning, not to an end, but to a brand new beginning. And what happens on the road in between there? And how we're changed by the fact that sin isn't just a mistake, it's a union with death. That, that changes the nature of who we are and who God created us to, to be. And, and sometimes we become more used to the language of death than the language of life, and we must unlearn what we have learned. And so God establishes a tree between the trees, the cross of Jesus. The cross is what breaks the power of death and shifts it from an end to a new beginning, death from an end to a new beginning. And we experience transformation when we empty ourselves of the burden of our sin and brokenness and are filled by communion and relationship with God. And as we put that final piece of practice into practice, final piece into practice over the course of our lives as disciples of Jesus, 
we begin to bear fruit in such a way that identifies our life as being transformed by Jesus. So now we're talking about the practical impact of this and what this creates and produces in our life. As God takes maybe the brokenness and the shame and the guilt that we have and he, and he mixes it all up with the grace and mercy and love of his son and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, now we talk about the practical fruit that it produces out of that. Jesus says in John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Uh, skipping down to verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The transformation that we undergo from death to life in Jesus shows itself in practical ways, uh, in, in so many different ways, in our relationship with God, in a relationship with one another, and with in the relationships we have with our neighbor. But I think a lot of times it's easy to kind of read some of these passages and texts in which we're, we're told we're supposed to bear fruit and this is what the fruit looks like and this is how we do it. It's easy for us to read those texts in a more selfish way than Jesus is intending here, as though the fruit that we're called to bear is solely for our enjoyment. Because to make this sound attractive, sometimes we'll say, and when I say we, like people like me, sometimes preachers will say things like, hey, it's to our benefit to show ourselves to be disciples of Jesus because good things will happen in our lives. We'll we'll get to enjoy good fruit that's produced out of faithful discipleship as we follow Jesus. And while those things are a true byproduct, for sure, of a life that is devoted to living out our faith in God, it's not the sole purpose. And so sometimes the way we think about this or the way we talk about this in the church, um, especially in the way if, if you look at Jesus' interaction with the religious elite of his day, the way that they ended up rejecting Jesus is because the, their focus on producing fruit was more self-directed than God wants us to have it. So a lot of times we'll, we'll come away with that and say, hey, the benefit of producing fruit and living the way that Jesus, Jesus wants us to is, hey, you're going to be healthier, you're going to be happier, and you're going to be wealthier. I mean, that, that was kind of the thing that, that, that Jesus was up against with the religious elite and some of the people that he had interactions with and arguments with um, in, in his time. And the same thing will happen in the church today. And it is not that sometimes when we follow the principles of God that those can't be great byproducts that we enjoy and fruit that is, is produced. It's just that's not the point. That's not the focus. It's a life transformed and being with God in relationship, that it, that is the primary focus. Um, so being happy and healthy and wealthy, I wish that started with an H, because that would all, wealthy, I can say it like that. Um, happy, healthy, and, and wealthy. You know, um, it's not the sole point, it's not the sole purpose for us to be able to experience those benefits. Um, there are two kind of even more important, I would say, reasons for us to bear fruit in a life with God especially as we look at the fruit that Jesus bore and how it was love defined by self-sacrifice and holy devotion to the will of God and relationship with God. And so here, here are a couple reasons beyond ourselves, right? That could be a third reason that we could t- take away, and that's perfectly fine. But beyond ourselves, here are, to me, what the top two reasons are for why we're called to bear fruit in our lives. First is for the benefit of the relationships that we have with fellow disciples, it's very clear as you read through Scripture, and we're, we're going to talk through this, that our relationships with one another are, are where we're meant to enjoy the fruit that we bear as, as a body of believers. And two, it's for the benefit of those who do not yet know Jesus. 
So first, let's talk about with fellow, fellow believers. As much as I love tomato sandwiches, anybody with me? Can we just tomato sandwiches? Can we just have a moment here? More people on this, this side of the room, you guys are on my right, so you are in the right. Or I don't, I don't know. Um, that's, that's silly and dumb. Uh, tomato sandwiches are amazing, and if you don't like tomato sandwiches, it's okay. No perfect people allowed. Um, so toast, toast your sandwich bread. You've got to toast your sandwich bread. Put mayo. Uh, Miracle Whip is not that. We won't even discuss that. That's not a thing. So, again, no perfect people allowed. However, Miracle Whip is terrible, so don't use that. Uh, mayonnaise. I don't care about Duke's mayonnaise or any of that kind of stuff. Some of you are like, <gasps> that changes everything. Um, mayonnaise on both sides of the bread. Nice, thick slice of tomato. Go ahead and use the whole tomato, as far as I'm concerned. Salt, little bit of pepper, not too much pepper, and just, and just go to town. Eat about three or four or five. Uh, is that okay? I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm not ashamed. There's no, there's no better feeling. Than, than a tomato sandwich, right? Um, I will tell you, when we grow like 20 tomato plants, though, I'm, there's no way I'm going to make it through all those tomatoes myself. I will try. I will try, but I won't do that. They're just going to sit there and rot if I don't share that with family and friends. And as much as I enjoy a toma- fresh tomato sandwich from, from my garden that I, you know, put while the healthy-looking tomato plant is mocking me in the, in the compost pile, um, I, like, I, I derive much greater joy in sharing a, a freshly grown homemade salad with my family or sharing some dried basil with, with friends or what, what, whatever it is. I get, I get so much more joy out of that because it's not, it's not about me. It's about sharing, um, you know, the fruit that we were able to participate and, and bear as a family. And it's, it feels even better to share in that work with, with other people. If I keep all of it to myself, most of the benefits, the higher percentage of those benefits of the garden are just going to rot and go to waste. The fruit that God produces in our life, is, it's meant to be shared with our family. And our family is not just our blood relatives. Our family is, is, is a more, there's a more expansive definition of what that looks like in Scripture. Our family are the people of God, our fellow believers. And not just the people in our little C church, but people in the big C church as well. Um, in Galatians chapter 5, when we talk about bearing fruit, this is one of the clearest, best descriptions of what God's will looks like and what we're meant to produce in our life because it's about the fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. We've put away the union of death, and we've taken on the new beginning of new life with, with Jesus. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Um, Let's keep reading, though, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh, so just themselves, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Um, when somebody becomes a part of the family of God, like uh, last time uh, we had, no, maybe it's two times ago, uh, I, I remember uh, someone w- w- was getting baptized and then, you know, people went up and, and greeted them and, and most of the time people will come up and say, welcome, welcome to the family. Like, so, so there's this, this idea that God has that we become his children and now we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And in fact, if you look at the words of Jesus and they come up to say, hey, your, your mother and your, your brothers, they're, they're here to kind of take you away because you're, you know, you're crazy. Um, and he said, well, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? You know, who, who, who really is my family? It's the people who do the will of God. 
So sometimes, you know, we think about family, we're only thinking about a very certain, you know, specific subset of people. It's much more inclusive when it comes to God and how he defines those things. Um, you know, and, and the thing is about being a part of the family, and, and we know this in our, own, in our own nuclear families, we're not all going to be firing on all cylinders at all the, t- all the time, and especially when we're talking about producing fruit. Um, there are going to be times where I'm not really all that great at producing fruit in the life of my family. Well, man, I'm so grateful that my, my wife and kids are there to, to, uh, to back me up. And that it's even more expansive than that. Because even if I didn't have them, I would have, I, I'd have you guys. Um, because I, I'm, not, I'm not great at producing fruit year-round, every single day, every minute of the day. And it's not until we do that together as a family of believers that we really start to see the transformation that God wants for our lives. We need the fruit from among each other so we share in the joy of that fruit. Um, we're not going to talk about whether or not some of our fruit tastes better than, the, than others, right? You know, that kind of, that's not the point. But we need the sustenance that we provide for one another in our changed lives because the world has a voracious appetite that will eat us alive if we're only focused on ourselves and we're only... Um, you know, consuming from our own, own produce and the good of ourselves. So we need each other in the church, sharing a common table, sharing in the goodness that God is doing in one another's lives. And we have to be engaged with one another for, for this to happen. Um, our, fruit, our bearing fruit is good for the good for all people, um, but, but it, is, it is especially for the family of believers. Let's talk about the all people part, though, um, because we talk about the first benefit is for, for those of us within the church, but it's not just about that. It's not just it, it, each internally focused. It's about being externally focused as well, because it's also for the benefit of those who do not yet know Jesus. The work of transformation through our lives being renewed, reunited with God is not for our benefit alone, but so we can share that with other people. And from the beginning, God has pursued us, and from that beginning, he's created a new beginning for us to be with him. And we are called to bear witness to other people about that change in our life. Witness to the creator, the sustainer, and redeemer of our life. There's nothing better than when somebody ch- shares life-changing information with us. So for me, every time somebody mentions a s'more, especially because we're in, the, in that vein of, of like, oh, it's kind of a nice, cool evening to, to have a fire, let's have some s'mores. Every time somebody talks about a s'more, I share with them life-changing information that somebody shared with me. And that is, instead of a, right, you, you guys are, I can tell you're on the edge of, the, uh, of your seat for this. Instead of using a Hershey bar, use a Reese's peanut butter cup. I love that reaction because I can tell. Because <laughs> I think I've shared that before, but you know, some, the good news needs to be repeated, and we need to be reminded of the good news. And I'm just telling you, it's it's going to change your life in ways in ways you never expected. So just get get a sleeve of Reese's peanut butter cups and use that instead of a Hershey's bar. Um, sh- you know, I, I don't I don't even remember who shared that with me, but it, it but it has changed my life ever since. Um, <laughs> And, and really, before somebody shared that, I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know you were allowed to do that. I, I, did, I, I really didn't. I thought it had to be a Hershey bar, or, or, um, but, it, but it's that good. I don't, know if, I don't care if you can or not, uh, so I share that good news. And it's clear from Jesus' ministry and the responsibility that he leaves his disciples with after his resurrection that the expectation for any follower of Jesus is that as we produce fruit, we share it with people who don't have that fruit. 
So we share it with people who do, and we kind of exchange, and we share, and we see the, um, the joy of, of, of how bountiful the table of God is among, among each other. But we also share it with people who don't have it as well. Um, that Jesus, the expectation for any follower of Jesus will be to guide others in both word and deed toward the kingdom of God that he came to usher in for this life and the life to come. And so the fruit God produces in our life is meant to be shared with our neighbor. Uh, this teaching that Jesus repeats uh, by example and by expressly stating it to his disciples is called the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28. And so I'll just remind you of that passage. Jesus comes to the disciples and says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this participation as witnesses uh, extends through generations of sharing our fruit, extends through generations of Christians from their faithfulness in connecting to Jesus and helping connect others in the same way. And so God calls us to, to share fruit by planting seeds in the lives of others so that hopefully one day they can bear fruit alongside with, with him. And men and women and children have continued to come to faith in Jesus because people have done this in their lives. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's how, how we're here today. It's because somebody decided to share their fruit with me, which then has, has developed into my life, has left that seed. That's what fruit does from a plant. It, it, leaves, it leaves the seed so it can propagate. And that's happened in my heart, and so that's why I'm here today. And that will continue to happen as, as life continues to go as we share the gospel of Jesus. I mean, there's so many different ways that the gospel has been attempted uh, to, to share. You know, you got the person shouting on the street corner. you got people that are like, here's a piece of paper, and if you read this, it will change your life. That, that, that's not how that works. Um, some, sometimes like, well, if we can just take control of as many things as we can, then, then if we can take control of people, we'll force them, and that'll work. Um, but that's not at all how that has been modeled for us in the early church. And that's not, how, um, that's not how the gospel has been spread throughout the year. It's through our language and our lifestyle. That's how we share the fruit of our transformed life. And if we're not creating intentional space for us to do that in the lives of other people, um, we're missing out on the transformation God wants for us and those who are around us. We talked about before how the union that we have in death, um, it affects our language. It affects the way that we think. It affects the way that we live. And that transformation of Christ is meant to have a practical application in our life that we move away from the language of death. We move away from the habits of death. Um, some, of the, some of the ways in which we live that keeps us from being able to plant these seeds in other people are the things that we, we, uh, we, we live out the former union of death that we have. We try to do way too much. We try to control way too much. We respond negatively to negative things. We seek constant validation from others. We feed into drama. We worry constantly about our problems. We hold on too tight to everything instead of being open-handed and with whatever God's will is in, in that moment. We focus on every time and, other pla and every place other than in the right here and right now. We try to cut corners in our life. We avoid tough and necessary conversations. We lose track of our priorities. We procrastinate. We have far more baggage than we need, and God invites us to lay it down at the foot of the cross. We let old mistakes live on in our hearts and minds. We give up on ourselves too soon. We compare ourselves to others who seem better off, and on and on and on it goes. And when we allow those things to clutter up in our life, 
instead of God tilling it all up into compost to grow something new. We miss out on the opportunity to share the fruit we're called to with other people. The more our language and lifestyle reflect how Jesus resurrects our lives from the habits of decay, the habits of decay and death, however, there's nothing more refreshing in the life of another person because it grows something beautiful out of death and decay. There's nothing, in my opinion, no candy, and I, I really like ice cream, okay? Even ice cream, there's nothing to me better than a perfectly ripe fruit. I, now, now, when it's not ripe, you know, there, there are few things worse to me, like a sour, you know, tart strawberry. When you pick it up, I, I don't know, some of you might think I'm crazy, but, like, that's terrible. But when it is a perfectly ripe strawberry, there are few things better to me or blueberry, or raspberry, or blackberry, any of, the, any of those things, apple, banana. When, it, when it's perfectly ripe, especially when I haven't been eating ice cream for a while and I realize how much sweeter it actually is because I've, I've kind of given up on, on the, all the artificial flavoring in, in that, um, there's this amazing thing that happens where we recognize the thing that God produces in our life is so much better than all the other things, and it's worth, worth sharing. Um, and sometimes we get so, so wrapped up in internal, in internal things, um, and, and we forget what that really looks like. Um, Paul gives an example of this, and, and, and this is the, the passage as he's explaining this. It's, it's not specifically about how we plant seeds in the life of others, but it's an example of how we miss how God means for us to engage in this. Uh, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he's specifically addressing uh, some internal strife. You know, people are arguing about the color of the carpet or whether or not there's, there's chairs or pews or chews like we have because they connect, to ne- connect together. Chews. Yeah, you're still working. No, I get like chairs and pews together. Yeah, good stuff. Um, and finally, he says, because they're, they're saying, hey, here's my favorite person. Here's my favorite theologian. You know, we're, we're going to argue about this. And in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, what after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building." When we're focused on sharing the goodness of God's transformation of our life, it creates more opportunity for people to experience and even choose the goodness of life with God. And, and it's about being willing to kind of set ourselves out there and share, share that seed, share, share that fruit so it plants that seed in the heart and life of other people. Uh, a couple weeks ago in our small group, uh, Jim, who I'm going to ask to come up and, and join me, shared... Um, I don't know, just a very moving and meaningful example of, of what this looks like. And rather than me just kind of stand here and, and say it with, with an expectation, well, of course, you're, you're paid to say this. You know, you're paid to share fruit with other people, you know, that kind of thing, right? We've, we've joked about that before. Um, I, I just want Jim to share his experience of, of just the small way in which um, he has shared the fruit, how seed has been planted in his life, the fruit that's born, and how he has uh, shared that with others. And so, Jim, I'm going to have you come over here um, and just, just share that story, man. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, when I'm not up here playing a shiny instrument for nightclubs or wedding cocktail hours or velocity, I, I am a brain scientist. 
And not only that, I'm one of the 17 brain scientists worldwide who actually believes in God. But it wasn't always this way. I grew up in a secular household where it was just sort of understood tacitly that, that we weren't prey to the, to the uh, opiate of the masses, you know, religion, folklore that lesser minds partake in. That was kind of the understated vibe of our family. And I carried that into my young adulthood. And in the late 90s, when I was earning my PhD in Houston, Texas, I had on my dissertation committee a professor who was the most critical thinker in the department, critical skeptical thinker. This guy was renowned for grilling guest speakers. Well, how can you claim that your intervention changed that when you didn't control for that? Many an awkward moment. In fact, his name got turned into a verb to mean grilling mercilessly. And that's, I mean, you know you've arrived. And that's who this guy was. Not a bad guy, but just a critical thinker. And one afternoon, I had to ask a statistical question for my dissertation. So I walked into his office, and I asked the question. And the professor started giving me an answer. And shortly after he spoke, my eyes wandered a little bit. And next to the boat anchor monitor on his desk in black leather cover was a Bible, a Bible on this guy's desk. Imagine you, you had an audience with Pope Francis, right? And he had a fake grenade on his desk. Got a you know, complaint, pull the pen. I mean, that's, it just, when I saw that Bible, my brain melted. Time stopped. Nothing, he just, his mouth moved and I didn't process any of it. I was so stunned by a critical thinker of this ilk with a Bible it just, I didn't register. And when he got done speaking, I said, uh, Professor, I mean you no disrespect, but you're one of the most critical thinkers I have ever met. What's with that Bible on your desk? I mean, how can you believe that stuff? He wasn't offended. He sensed this earnestness of my question. And he took that Bible, he cradled it on his fingertips and said, This book just speaks truth to me. The more I read it, the more everything just makes sense. The way people are, the way the world is. The more re I read it, the more truth I find in it. You know, just set aside all the televangelists and all that garbage and just read it with an open mind. Just read it. And um, so after I left his office, I got myself a copy and I started reading the Bible. And I was struck instantly by how sophisticated ancient people were compared to what I thought. I mean. You had sex, greed, lust, setting a guy up to get murdered so you could go with his wife. I mean, all that juicy stuff. I just like, wow, they weren't just primitive. And then from there, I got a Josh McDowell book. We didn't have Lee Strobel back then. Um, apologetics, I started it because what the Bible on that guy's desk did, looking back, it gave me intellectual cover to actually look into it seriously in a way that nobody else with the Bible on their desk could have done. Then I looked at complicated books on the fabric of the universe, the constants, the way our universe is so attuned to us being here. And what that did was it caused the doubt to melt away. So I've come to believe that our God of free will has a very faint signal that he broadcasts that many or most of the world doesn't pick up on. And it's impossible to pick on it when you have static the static of impossibility, the static of this can't be. And once that static 
melted away, I could hear God's voice. And not long after that, I said, okay, I'm with you. And, um, you know, the 20 years of growth after that and the fellowship has been amazing. And um, so fast forward to 2019, I was at a scientific conference and looking at data posters. And who did I bump into but my old professor. And uh, I exchanged some pleasantries with him. And then I said, I want to talk to you. So I took him to a table to the side, sat down. And I told him what that Bible started, what that seed planted did, what it did for me, how it changed me. So how did he respond? Thank you, Jesus. No. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> so so uh, I, I said, you know, what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to go put a Bible on my desk, what I told him. I said, I, you know, just like you had a Bible for me, I'm going to put a Bible on my desk. So next Sunday, back here at Velocity, I stole a Bible off the welcome table. <laughs> Like a good Christian, I stole it, and, and, I, and I put it on, on my desk. And has anybody come to my desk and said, you know, Dr. Bjork, um, what's with that Bible on your desk? And, and honestly, no. No one has yet. COVID hasn't helped. But a few, weeks, a few weeks ago, I had a startling similarity. I was with a faculty colleague of mine out by Farmville Amelia getting the basics of turkey hunting on this dude's land. With, he's an expert turkey hunter. And late in the afternoon, we'd been on his land, and we were practicing our come hither <laughs> turkey calls, you know. And it was 5 o'clock, and I'm like, oh, hey, um, guys, i got to get back to the West End. I have a small group at my church tonight. So we wrapped it up. And um, on our ride home, my faculty colleague said, uh, hey, Jim, I, you mentioned you were going to this church small group. What, what's up with that? And I realized, I had re come to realize that um, there are many different ways to spread the gospel, but this is my lane. This is my lane. I'm not bullhorn guy. Don't get me started on bullhorn guy. But this is my lane. And so I had my answer for him. I told him a Cliff Notes' version of where I had come from spiritually, um, where, where I had come to feel God at certain key moments, where I could feel the presence of God in an unmistakable way, that in their totality is hard to explain away. Um, and he was really impressed with that, but he said, you know, the reason I never really looked into all that is because if, if this is all true, what you're saying, why are Christians just like everyone else? Why, why are they? I mean, they just seem to be as rude as anybody. And I, and I just, I was ready. I said, Nick, you're right. Mature Christians realize that the biggest barriers to following Christ are Christians themselves. But I also said that I think people with a secular mindset have an unrealistic expectation of how a crude, craven, self-interested creature like humans can just turn on a dime and, and just suddenly become angels and saints. I said that, that, that people are on a spectrum of spiritual maturity, and those with maturity realize how Jesus is up here, we are down here, and we can just take baby steps to become better and better. And then he, um, he asked, well, when you had this new understanding, did it, like, change you in any ways, like, politically? So apparently, I guess in his mind, if you accept Jesus, you have to watch Fox News, Fox News and invade the Capitol. No, 
No, no, that, that wasn't. But what, what it did do, and I was ready for that, I says it changed my view of other people. Because I had, I had sort of grown up thinking of other people sometimes as just walking sacks of competing water and DNA, sometimes unfortunate reproductive decisions, I mean, the whole bit. But when you believe in a God of intention, a God that holds us all precious, it immediately took the scales from my eyes to make me realize how precious we all are. And that changed how I look at my fellow man, and I told him that. So we, uh, at that point, we rolled up to my car in the Cabela's parking lot, and, and my colleague said, well, this has been really interesting. I hope we can talk about this more sometime. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. So I'm going to keep it cool, and I'm going to hope he raises uh, the issue again. And, and when he does, I'll be ready. It's our language and our lifestyle that shows the transformation of Jesus in our lives. And uh, just living that out, being willing to have those conversations, being ready for, the, for those things, um, shows you know, how, how fruit is being born in our life and how there's, there's plenty, plenty to share with people who, who are looking, looking for that, um, who, who want that, who God is... Uh, leading into our lives to, to hear that and experience that through, through us. And so as we think about you know, this, this movement from the tree that introduced sin and death in our lives to, to the tree that we look forward to and participating in together in the future and how the cross of Jesus transforms all of that into a new beginning, um, as we move into a time of communion together, I, I just want to encourage you to uh, consider what it looks like for you to have a, have a Bible on your desk or, or just being willing to, to share with people, you know, what, what you're participating in and prioritizing your, in your life as a result of what Jesus has done. Um, and, and consider what, what it's going to look like when we get to be together with the tree of life and share, share that fruit you know, with, with the people that, that God has brought into our lives that we've been willing uh, to share his grace and mercy with. Um, we take communion every week at Velocity, and we take a little bit of bread and we take a little bit of juice that reminds us that it's the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that brings us to this place where we can experience the risen Savior, that we can experience our creator, the author and perfecter of our faith, um, the one who graciously gives us all good things. And so as we prepare our hearts for this time of communion that we're going to participate in, I just want to read uh, the description one more time of the tree of life uh, that we are looking forward to sharing with together. This is from Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. God, as we um, take this moment and share in communion together, God, we just ask that you uh, remind us of the fruit that you bear in our lives. Um, 
God, help us to see the way that we can share that fruit in the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.